goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Yep. <laughs> Buster, you don't approve? I didn't think that you were finished. Well, I thought you'd come in with the next part of the song. Nope. Great. This is a great intro to the Tennis Podcast. I'm your host. That's Nick Amel. And this is the Well, sh- see, this is why I'm confused because you told me before we started recording that I was going to be the host and that you're the sidekick host because I brought the list today. So that's why, I, you know, I thought I was opening this episode. Buster, even if I wanted that to happen and I said, all right, Buster, I need a break. You take the reins. I'll be in the background for an episode or two. No one would fucking take it seriously because no one could possibly take you seriously as the host. Mm-hmm. And no one would like me in the sidekick host role. I steal the show. The spotlight just gravitates toward me. We need someone like you that's kind of boring, kind of dull, just there to bounce a voice off of in the background, mm-hmm. which is the show where we cover top 10-ish lists every week, either myself or my sidekick host bring a top 10 list. Usually my sidekick host is a cranky old man named Brandon, but he's taken some time off. So today I'm joined for the second time on the main feed here by my guest sidekick host, Dr. Buster, who you previously heard back on episode 160. Buster. How are you? Well, you enjoyed insulting me for an hour uh, worth of time last episode, so I guess you decided to bring me back despite all the emotional trauma. You know, you on the show, and Brandon used to fill this role too, just this is where I unload my emotions once a week. Come on here, and I just treat you as my emotional punching bag. So I'm glad you could make the time for me, doctor. I can see the montage building over a week's span every time your son or your daughter does something to piss you off, your wife says something smart to you, you're just building, you're just waiting, you're waiting, you've got even a a notes file in your phone, Mm -hmm. you're keeping track of all these grievances, and then when it comes to recording the Tennis Podcast that week, ooh. Yeah, which is you, that's you today. Yeah. You know, you saying that I'm waiting and taking notes and biding my time, that would imply that the bitching and whining at this house ever ends for even a second. (laughs) which is not the case. (laughs) Well, anyway, Buster, I'm glad you could join me again. And Buster will also be on a Tennis Pod Plus bonus episode coming out in April. So you're getting getting a a booty's worth of Buster over the next little while here. It was a good episode. I got to discuss and really hash out my least, uh, my five least favorite things about Nick. So it was was really good, really cathartic episode. Great. Well, I hope you can have some cathargy, catharticism. On wow, 165 episodes and you're still this bad. <laughs> Got it. Uh, if you missed his last appearance on the show, Buster is a doctor of some shit, maybe. Uh, he's also been my best friend since about the 10th grade, although that's quickly changing by the millisecond on this episode. Fake news? I'd like to see the citation on that. <laughs> well, we're probably using Wikipedia today, so can you even be sure? It's one of my four sources for the list. That's right. So that's a good segue because I was about to say... Buster guessed the list last time. This time, he brought me a list. Buster, what is it? So what we're going to be reviewing today is the top 10 rated R films ranked by worldwide gross revenue. The sources are Box Office Mojo, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Wikipedia. I have the list of the top 25 in front of me, but I've only got Buster's bullet points for the top 10. Buster's bullet points. Listen to you. That's right. And I've got a host of little goodies attached to each of these 10 films. Do any of those goodies involve you, I don't know, shutting the hell up? Well, the faster you guess and the more accurate you are with your your guesses, then I'll be shutting the hell up even faster. So you better do a good job. So just to reiterate, so we're on the same page. These are the top 10 
films of all time based on global box office that are rated R? They have to be rated R, yes. And one of the little tidbits is I put in the list, in the notes, why each of these films was rated R. Tidbits, notes, I'm confused. Don't you mean hashtag Buster's bullet points? Buster's bullet points, that's right. Do you know anything about branding? God. I got to stay on brand. All right, I think I'm going to do pretty good at this. No, you won't. We've done a couple, we being me and Brandon, done a couple uh, lists in the same vein before. I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on film box office type things, so I am ready to get all 10 correctly guessed in a row with no mistakes. All right, well, I can't wait to prove you wrong at each and every turn, but first, let's start. What are some R-rated films you think may not be in the top 10 list? Is Killer Clowns from Outer Space rated R? Unfortunately for you and Brandon, no. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is not on this list. Not even in the top 25. What about, are any of the Spongebob movies rated R? No. Are you sure you want to double check Buster's bullet points on that one? Yep, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I mean, if you've come across an R-rated Spongebob feature <laughs> film, I don't want to know where your sources would be where you found it. Well, you haven't heard this yet because when we're recording this, it hasn't come out yet. But on episode 163, me and Art from Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast covered the top 10 creepypastas. And there is a Spongebob-related creepypasta on there that would be rated RRRRR times a thousand. <laughs> anyway, why don't I give you a real guess here? It Chapter 1 from 2017 It Chapter 1. In the top three. It Chapter 1 is number five on the list. I knew it. Mm-hmm. Coming in at an overall rank, so of, of any films rated anything, it's at 127. So it's five for rated R films, but 127 uh -huh. overall. That's interesting because number one, it really goes to show how few rated R films make it really high on a top, on the all-time list, right? Absolutely. And that's why a lot of films that would be better as a rated R film. I think you'd agree with me, Buster. When a film's rated R, if you took that same film and rated a PG-13, the R version's better. Yes. And a lot of times, movie studios will do that just because they know it'll attract a larger base of audiences. Just by the very definition, because now you're lowering the age to get in, more people will see it, more money will be generated. Sure. Anyway, go ahead. It's chapter one. So for the folks at home, the plot overview, seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine are about to face their worst nightmare, an ancient shape-shifting evil that emerges from the sewer every 27 years <laughs> to prey on the town's children. Banding together over the course of one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their personal fears to battle the murderous, bloodthirsty clown known as Pennywise. Nick, what's your hot take on it? Well, first of all, what stood out to me while you read that is... If you haven't seen it or haven't read it or you know very little about it, just hearing that plot line just sounds kind of ridiculous. <laughs> sure. Yes. Right? But, but Buster, I know that you've also read it at least once, maybe more than that. You've seen all the movies um, and you're a big Stephen King fan like me. And you know that it is my favorite book of all time. I'll, I won't get too deep into it just because I've done it several times on this podcast already. But I think it is my favorite book. It Chapter 1, I think, is the strongest adaptation of It. It Chapter 2 was okay, but not that great. And the television series from the 90, early 90s It TV movie was good for nostalgia, but other than that, not a great film. That, maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. 
I think many Stephen King fans would also agree it's really hard to translate some of these stories and ideas to cinema. Some of it just has to be read. Yeah. And I do think parts of it are that way, but I really enjoyed It Chapter One a lot. Yeah, me too. I mean, my timeline might be slightly off, but I'm pretty sure it was the first major kind of resurgence in Stephen King popularities. Because after that, we had all kinds of adaptations coming out, series coming out. Uh, you know, like there's the Castle Rock series on Hulu came out after this. Um, mm. One of many examples. But Stephen King's a hot commodity right now in Hollywood. I know there's Pet Cemetery movies that have come out. And what's the one coming out? Oh, just saw a trailer this week for the new Firestarter coming out in May. Ooh. Okay. Which looks pretty good. Uh, and it also has a listener of the show, Zach Efron, as a part in the movie. Perfect. Stephen King's uh, doing well right now in his 70s, but I'll contend that it remains his best book. I think even if you enjoy the movies and even if you don't, the movies, it's just impossible to do certain parts of that book justice, as you alluded to. God, are you done talking yet? <laughs> Jesus Christ. thought I was hosting this list. For the third time today, you're not the host of the show. Rotten Tomatoes gave this an 86% from the critics and wow. 84% from the audience. Now that's, that's pretty high for a horror film. That's what I was just about to say. Horror films are notoriously low on Rotten Tomatoes generally. Not uncommon for a horror film to be down in the teens or 20s or 30s percent. 86% is pretty strong. Yeah. And for each of these, it always makes me chuckle. I really like the way Rotten Tomatoes wraps up the critic summary and the way they choose to describe the takeaway. So that description, the critic consensus for it, well-acted and fiendishly frightening with an emotionally affecting story at its core, it amplifies the horror in Stephen King's classic story without losing touch with its heart. Oh, profound. That's right. One thing that made the It Chapter One so good is the cast. Those cast of kids were perfect. They were natural. They fit the characters. The chemistry was there. It's just perfect casting. So I have a piece of trivia to add on to that. So Jack Grazier, who played Eddie, was the first of all the kids on the film to work with Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise the Clown. During their first scene together, Grazier would cry and gag while Bill Skarsgård, who was playing the clown, was right in this kid's face yelling and drooling. Bill Skarsgård told the production crew he was concerned for Grazier's mental health. But after the first scenes ended, he was surprised because Jack Grazier, the child actor, would always look at him and say, hey, I love what you're doing with the character and might even offer up some tips for him to be even scarier. Bill Skarsgård left confused and was impressed at all of the children's acting, calling them all little professionals. So that was huge. That actor who played Eddie, what's his name? Jack Grazier. Jack Grazier. I thought he stole the show in that film, in It Chapter One. Oh yeah, Eddie was great. So the budget for this film was $35 million and it grossed $702 million. Wow. So huge success at the box office. All right. So what's your next guess? You said you have the top 25 in front of you. So I think this one might be after 10, but I'll go ahead and guess it since we're on the topic and that's It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2 rings in at number 19. Knew it. Let me ask you this. Are there any other like true horror films in the top 10? No, no more horror no. films left in the top 10. I think I know what number one is, but I'm going to try to save it. So then how about Deadpool, I believe, was rated R. Where's Deadpool? Show me Deadpool. Show you Deadpool? That's going to come in at number three. 
So Deadpool was released in 2016, starring Ryan Reynolds and Morena Bacharin. The budget was $58 million, brought in $783 million. So it's Damn. number three for rated R films, but overall rank for top grossing of all time worldwide, it is 101. This shows to me an artistic choice, right? Because if they, this goes the opposite of what I was saying in the last time where I was saying that a lot of studios will make a rated R film, a, a film that should have been rated R PG-13 to get more revenue. Deadpool made the choice to, well, we're probably going to make a little m- less money if we make this R, but it's going to serve the movie so much better. I mean, if anyone out there like myself had read the Deadpool comics before going to theater and seeing it, there's just no other way. You, you cannot get away with the PG-13 version of the character Deadpool. In the comics, does he make like the same sorts of jokes and use the same sorts of language? It's not as bad as the film. I guess it really depends on the author and the specific run of the graphic novel that you're reading, but some of it's not as raunchy, some of it certainly is. Well, you know my philosophy in life, Buster, the raunchier, the better. Right. So it's rated R for language throughout, graphic nudity, sexual content, strong violence. I will never forget watching Deadpool in the theaters. Behind me was a middle-aged father and then probably about an 11-year-old son and a 14-year-old son. And within the first 30 minutes, if my memory serves me correctly, Deadpool and his girlfriend are (laughs) taking turns using the largest (laughs) fist-shaped dildo I've ever seen in my life. And they're shoving it up each other's asses. And the whole time, all I could think about is, why are these two children sitting behind me in this theater? Everyone comes into their own at different ages, Buster. Who are you to be be the parent police (laughs) in the world? So if you do not know the plot, Wade Wilson is a former special forces operative who now works as a mercenary. His world comes crashing down when evil scientist Ajax tortures, disfigures, and transforms him into Deadpool. The rogue experiment leaves Deadpool with accelerated healing powers and a twisted sense of humor. Nick, have you seen this film? I did see it. What'd you think? I saw the film. I really enjoyed it, as you know. I think we discussed this the last time you are on, but I'm not super into superhero films anymore. But I did see this one and it's way different than any typical superhero film. And the thing that you you kind of brushed over the torture there, the thing I remember most about this movie that I still think about sometimes is one of the torture methods that they use on Deadpool's character is where they make him almost lose his breath and then give him just enough breath to catch his breath. Mm. And then he loses it again. Do you know which part I'm talking about? I don't remember it, but Oh, that's a haunting. Yeah, it's either feeling. like days or I think, I don't remember, but maybe several days of him like having a constant feeling of not being able to breathe and that would suck. That's what it's like knowing I'm about to record the tennis <laughs> podcast with you. But luckily you're getting paid millions to be here. Mm. The critic consensus is that fast, funny, and gleefully profane, the fourth wall busting Deadpool subverts superhero film formula with wildly entertaining and decidedly non-family friendly results. The critics gave it an 85% while the audience score is a 90%. What do you give it, Buster? I liked it. It wasn't my favorite movie, but man, you know, we're talking about sort of getting disenfranchised with the superhero formula. This was one I couldn't wait to see. Yeah, really different. I did not see the sequel, though. Neither did I, but I'm a huge Ryan Reynolds fan. Yeah, well, why don't you just fucking marry him already? Jesus. The uh, piece of trivia for this film is that once Ryan Reynolds 
when he realized how much of a hit this was with children, especially one uh, particular child named Connor, who was in the Make-A-Wish Foundation, who was terminally ill, Ryan Reynolds, after the release of Deadpool, visited many, possibly even hundreds of kids through the Make-A-Wish Foundation dressed as Deadpool and visited them in character. Just pretty neat. It is neat, but again, it, it's funny because <laughs> it's right. a rated R film with huge fisting dildos in it, and he's a hero to these kids. But I get it, I yep. guess. His mother looks over and says, hey, you know, right after that dildo fisting scene, it's like, that's the man that my son really wants to make a connection with before he takes his last breath on this earth. No, the mom leans over to the terminally ill child and says, you see that, son? Someday Ryan Reynolds is going to do that to your mommy. <laughs> but, you know, I will say, to be fair, like, there's plenty of shit my kids have never watched in their life, but they're still obsessed with because of toys and commercials and stuff. So I'm sure lots of kids that are really obsessed with Deadpool have never even seen the movie. Yeah, that's true. And even the trailer was very visually appealing and the trailer itself was funny and pretty family friendly. So wait, are you reading a review about me? Visually appealing, family friendly? <clears throat> okay. Next guess. Next guess. <sighs> nope, that's not on the list. I'm sorry. There's no other horror films. So that leaves like blockbusters, but what blockbusters, are there any like straight comedy films? Yes, but it's the one film in the top 10 I don't think that you will guess. So should we go ahead and recap it? Well, how recent is it? I think it was 2020 or 2021. During COVID? Yeah, it's a foreign release. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably not going to get that. So number six, coming in at number six, grossing 686 million is Detective Chinatown 3. Mm-hmm. It's apparently a comedy mystery buddy film. The plot is after the events in Bangkok and New York, Tang Ren and Quinn Fing are invited to Tokyo to investigate another crime that has occurred there, leading to a battle between the strongest detectives in Asia. So what's your problem with uh, Chinese culture and films? You won't see them? You take a stand against <laughs> watching them? The bit of trivia is that due to the outbreak of COVID, several Chinese New Year film releases, including this film, were canceled in China. The U.S. release was set to be the biggest North American outing to date for a Mandarin language film, but that release was postponed and I think ultimately canceled altogether. So I think they, there was going to be a decent amount of hype for this release here in the United States, but it just didn't happen because of COVID. I remember when I've done other film-related uh, lists like this, inevitably there's always several Chinese films that break into the top 10. Mm. And what's most fascinating about that is... I want to say like 99% or more of those Chinese films total box office comes from just China. Whereas every other movie you've covered like Deadpool and It Chapter One has a worldwide gross. They have hundreds of countries giving them their, their money. But the Chinese films only need to rely on one country to break into the top 10. Right. Well, the population in China is like one sixth of everyone in the world, right? right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it logically makes sense. But so you got just, any other Captain Obvious points? I'm just here to provide some color, some color commentary. So the budget was $117 million. It did grow 686 so it was a success. I correct myself, it was y the year 2021. Rotten Tomatoes gives us a 60% overall from critics, but there's not enough audience ratings to give it a score. And there is no critic consensus supplied by Rotten Tomatoes either. So that's it. Detective Chinatown 3. Thank you for uh, bringing me inconclusive and incomplete notes. Appreciate it. But I guess this is on brand for a sidekick host.
So the rest of these other seven films you've not yet guessed, they are household names and you will know, you will have known about or seen the rest of these. Well, I'm kind of drawing a blank, so I'll go ahead and guess what I think is number one and that is... Don't do it. Don't do it. All right, we'll, fine. We'll, I'll go to hints. I'm not having you ruin yet another episode of the Tennis Podcast by guessing number one out of the gate. Ruin. Okay. So how about this? Hang on. Let, let, me, let me go to my reserves here for a minute before you start giving hints. What about like a disaster movie? No disaster movies. So what does that leave? One of them was a disaster for one man in particular. Jesus? Yes. That's my number one. Is that not number one? It is not numero uno. Oh, okay. It's two then. It is not two. God. Four. You are so bad at this. Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ coming in at number eight. Number eight. Man, you could Uh, not have been more wrong. I guess four, and if you times four by two, which is how many times you've been on the show so far, two gets you eight. Got it. So I, I nailed it is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you nailed it. Rated R for graphic violence. It grossed $612 million. The budget was $30 million. So relatively cheap film, but made a ton of money. Came out in 2004, 49% from critics, but 80% from the audience. Huge discrepancy. Nick, did you see this film? I saw this film when it came out. 2004, I would have been 15 or so. I was still a church-going boy at that time, and I remember being in church and the pastor endorsing the film. And so we went to the movie theater, and with, I went with my family, and it was the longest line I'd ever seen at a movie up to that point of people waiting to get in. And this was a Sunday afternoon right after church, and I went in and saw it, And it's the only time I can remember, to this day actually, the movie ended and everyone just sat in dead silence. No one got up, no one clapped, no one did anything. It's just dead silence for like a full three or four minutes as the credits rolled. Really eerie, actually. I haven't seen it since. I'd like to go back and watch it again now that I'm a a devilish atheist, but (laughs) because I haven't seen it with that lens, you know, but sure. How about you? And I know you all mentioned it on at least your Mel Gibson episode, but I think you've mentioned it even more recently. But no, this is a film that I've never seen. And I've always been curious to see how, you know, how gruesome it really is. Oh, it's gruesome. The critique overview was director Mel Gibson's zeal is unmistakable, but the passion of the Christ will leave many viewers emotionally drained rather than spiritually uplifted. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. So, for the folks at home, Nick, tell people what's the basic plot of The Passion of the Christ. The basic plot. Let's see. I gotta think about... Okay, is this the one where uh, Happy goes golfing? He's a hockey player, though. No, that's not it. Mm. Yeah, he says, get in your little home, go home in the hole. Oh, this is the one where Harry and Lloyd drive cross country, right? Right, yeah. An 84 sheepdog. Passion of the Christ is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The film starts, I think, the, the morning of or the night before. I think The Last Supper is included in the film. But anyway, yeah, like 75% or more of the film is literally just watching Jesus be tortured. And it's hard to watch, for sure. No matter what your beliefs are, it's hard to watch. And I'm on record, well, I don't even know if I'm on record, People, historians are on record of saying a man named Jesus was crucified, you know, that is not in debate. What's debate is all the hocus pocus 
But as far as a guy that's happening to, and not just Jesus, but other people, obviously were crucified too. It's a fucking... Uh, it was common. Yeah, it was common. But it, it was a common form of yeah. punishment. And to see it dragged out this way and to see what it was really like, because you can talk about it in history class. And this is one of my, my, the main bones I pick with history classes time and time again, if you're a history teacher, I'm sorry, I'm not targeting you personally, but yes. there's so many things we learn about, like people getting crucified in the Roman Empire that you just read about and you glaze over in a course without realizing what that truly means, what it would be like to be crucified or to have to walk by it. Every time you leave the, the wall of the city to fetch water and come back, you have to walk by these people who are dying up there. I mean, it's brutal and it was common. And I just don't, I don't know. It's difficult because so much of history that we're taught, you know, starts at a young age. And I know that we don't have time to necessarily pump in all the emotional angst that goes with history. But mm -hmm. man, the older I get, the more I just think about how messed up, difficult, hard and harsh human history was. Well, and I think that was the intent with this film is religious people, including known religious uh, angel of a man who's never done anything wrong or said anything anti-Semitic or anything like that, Mel Gibson. They wanted to remind people like, yes, we all talk about Jesus being crucified and we all talk about being thankful for him dying for our sins. But have you really stopped to think about what that means? Have you really stopped to think about the crucifixion? So yeah, it's fucking brutal. And Buster, you are, just so we're clear, everyone's on the same page, you are on record of saying you think you're smarter than every history teacher and that they're all dumb and doing it wrong. Yes or no? No, that would be fake news. And I'm instead going to turn that narrative into just saying I do think that I had a rash of history teachers who were more focused on us memorizing the facts and not connecting with the material that we were learning about and empathizing with the humans of the past. Yeah, I'm super fascinated by this time period and the Jesus story, even though I don't believe what the Bible says, I'm still really fascinated by the man Jesus and everything that led up to that. So uh, again, I have not gone back and watched this since 2004, but I should sometime soon. Well, tomorrow evening, as you sit down to dinner with your family, just put it on in the background. Yep. Take some notes and see, you know, see how your perspective has changed. And hey, we talked about when's the threshold for kids to start being introduced to the hard facts of life. Let's show them Passion of the Christ tomorrow at dinner. There were definitely young kids in that movie theater when I saw it. Yeah. But yeah, I think my four-year-old would get a real kick out of the skin <laughs> being torn off the flesh by a, a glass-laced whip. So, a little side note. In June 2016, the writer, Randall Wallace, stated that he and Mel Gibson had begun to work on a sequel to the Passion of the Christ, focusing on the resurrection of Jesus. They were going to put it together with the screenwriter of Braveheart and the director of We Were Soldiers. So, man, really pulling together Mel Gibson's previous works here. Uh, but uh, they said that in 2018, they estimated the release of the film was probably still years off, and it's a huge, huge project. Mel Gibson still wants to release it at some point, but as of right now, no depicted date. I thought that was interesting. But how are, you, that. how are you going to have a sequel that's as sexy and as controversial without all the fucking gore in it? If it's just him <laughs> rising from the dead, it's boring. The focus is going to be a lot different in the directing of that sequel. Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's literally like an hour, 45 minutes of blood and gore and violence and just feeling sick to your stomach. So yeah, it would be different, but I'm sure they'd have plenty of flashbacks to get to sneak in that gore. Or maybe they just rewrite the ending. I'd love if they just rewrote the ending and made it different from the Bible, like Jesus comes out of the cave and he's already holding two fucking like machine guns and he's... I think, 
I'm having deja vu. I think me and Brandon talked about this during our Mel Gibson episode where we'd like to see a movie of Jesus being like Rambo, basically. I would watch the hell out of that. What if the sequel to The Passion of the Christ was Jesus just opens his eyes and it picks up the very second that the last movie left off, turns out he's still alive, and it's just two more hours of him <laughs> suffering on the cross? No, I'll tell you what they do. The movie starts and it's a close-up of his eyes closed, and you assume he's either dead on the cross or dead in the cave or whatever, and then he wakes up and he sits up in bed and the whole thing was a dream. <laughs> None of it happened. And then the real crucifixion, crucifixion begins and it's twice as gory, twice as bloody. And it turns out he was just having a premonition about what was about to happen to him. Hey, I love it. Let's call Mel, see if we can make it happen. Maybe we can get both of Mel's hands in this film instead of just one nailing the cross. So <laughs> oh you gosh. mentioned We Were Soldiers, which brought to mind a couple movies I want to guess here. Okay. And I'm going to guess that in the top 10, near the bottom of the top 10, is Saving Private Ryan. Wrong again. Am I surprised? No. Saving Private Ryan is number 18. Knew it. It was in the top 25. Yeah, you said top 10. Uh, is there a war type movie in the top 10? Only if you're talking sexually. Wait, is 300 in the top 10? 300 is number 25. Okay, sexually. So, uh, 50 Shades of Grey. Don't act like you haven't seen this movie on repeat at least once a month since its release. I watched it before we hit record and I'm going to watch it after we hit record. <laughs> Again, it's my passion of the Christ. That's right. <laughs> 50 Shades of Grey coming in at Seven. number 10. Knew it. Nope. Number 10. It grossed $570 million with a budget of $40 million. It came out in 2015. It's rated R for language, graphic nudity, sexual dialogue, some unusual behavior, which is hilarious. I've never seen that on an R rating, and strong sexual content. Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 25% from critics and 41% of the audience enjoyed it. So, Nick, how many times? <laughs> hundreds, 200s, 300s? How many times have you seen this film? You know, I've mentioned a few times how studios will do like the PG-13 or rated R trick to make the audience go one way or another. This is one where they really should have considered a G version. Get as many people in there, expose them to different types of love and sexual deviance. <laughs> unusual behavior. Unusual behavior. Well said. To be sincere, Dr. Buster, I have not seen this even once, have you? I have not. I have only seen snippets of it and God, it was so cheesy and cringy. I couldn't even, I couldn't even watch it ironically. I just had to switch it. Let me ask you, I mean, I mean this with all sincerity, why watch this instead of just watching a porno or something? Like, <laughs> I don't, like the porno will be, I don't know, this just seems, I don't know, I haven't read it, haven't seen it, so don't take my word for I it. I do genuinely think Fifty Shades of Grey was sort of an allowance for people who maybe have never considered this type of thing, they've never dabbled in that, they wouldn't watch pornography, but they do like to read and you know, maybe Nerds. they thought it would be well-written or they were kind of tantalized. Like, have you ever walked by in a, a book section in a grocery store and seen all those no novellas and, and like uh, the cheesy covers with the guy who's got his shirt off? And there's not one. There's not five of those books. There's literally hundreds. There's hundreds of these cheesy romantic novels. And I think to myself, there's got to be at least a good chunk of the population that buys and reads these books or there wouldn't be so many of them and they wouldn't be in every store that you encounter. But it's a volume game. I think it's this, 
now I'm talking about these books now, not Fifty Shades of Grey, but like with those books, I think it's the same core audience of a niche audience of people that buy a bunch of books, right? Because mm. that's why there's so many. Because they're all the same. The covers all look the same. Like you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between them based on sure. covers. And so I think that crowd got a little bit of permission to go a little bit further into the deep end and their interest was piqued and they read Fifty Shades or maybe they didn't even read it. But, you know, moviegoers just thought that this would be a hot and sweaty way to spend their Valentine's Day, which is so funny. That that's when it was released on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. A hot and sweaty way to spend Valentine's Day. And who's not looking for that, right? <laughs> that's right. In a theater with nine of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, listen to this plot objectively and tell me if mm -hmm. this would be your favorite film. When college senior Anastasia Steele steps in no. for her sick roommate to interview prominent businessman Christian Grey. Also, notice that the names are Steele and Grey for Fifty Shades of Grey. Not a coincidence. So, she interviews this prominent businessman for her campus paper. Little does she realize the path her life will take. Christian, an enigmatic as rich... As Christian, Can you talk? As, Have you spoken English before? <laughs> Christian, as enigmatic as he is rich and powerful, finds himself strangely drawn to Anna and she to him. Though sexually inexperienced, <laughs> Anna plunges headlong into an plunges. affair and learns, <laughs> yeah, wow. and learns that Christian's true sexual proclivities oh. push the boundaries of pain and pleasure. Look, I think... Yeah, it's just not for me. People can be into whatever they want, but it's not for me. The critic consensus says, while creatively better endowed than its print counterpart, hilarious word usage, yep. Fifty Shades of Grey is a less than satisfying experience on the screen. A little piece of trivia, Thomas Williams of the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture commented on the release of the film in the United States on Valentine's Day, stating, quote, the irony of Universal Pictures' decision to release its bondage erotica film on the day dedicated to honoring a Christian martyr has not what? gone unnoticed to those who seem to find the choice unclassy at best. Christian martyr? Well, I think that's referring to St. Valentine. But I don't know the full story of St. Valentine. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. But I did notice that the uh, sex-crazed, enigmatic, rich guy in the story, his name is Christian. And I can't help but think that's not a coincidence, but maybe it is. I don't know. Anastasia Steele. I think that's what I'm going to name my first daughter. Anastasia Steele. Well, I'm still thinking about this. Wasn't there a sequel too? It's a trio. A trio, but the third one hasn't come out. It's a trilogy. I don't know. I thought the trilogy ended. Well, maybe it did. I think they're called, they're called like Fifty Shades Grayer. And then like, <laughs> what is the third film called? The Grayest Shade? <laughs> The third one, they just drop all pretense and it's just like the gray dick or something. Like the grayest dick. These shades of... Book three is called fucking. <laughs> so it's Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, and Fifty Shades Freed. And you're right, all three are out. And on Google, I just... One of the like recommended searches is, is Fifty Shades of Grey illegal? Illegal. I either feel like you have to be 60 or 16 to type that into Google. Well, I do like how we talked about Fifty Shades of Grey immediately after talking about Passion of the Christ. They probably use some of the same, um, you know, some of the same methods for torture in both films. Yeah, I would say <laughs> they probably use Passion of the Christ when trying to translate the book to the 
Silver Cinema. Silver Cinema. All right. Well, that brings me to another guess, unless you have anything else on Fifty Shades. I don't think I do. No. Okay. Well, do you or don't you? It's not. I don't need you to think about it. Okay. (laughs) Is Magic Mike in the top 10? Magic Mike is not in the top 25. So let me think here. There are two sequels. Three. Three sequels you have not guessed. Three sequels? Not in the same series, though. All three. No. There are three different sequels and three different series. Then they are all the second film. So The Dark Knight was PG-13. Is there any superhero films that are rated R besides Deadpool? Oh, is Deadpool 2 in the top 10? The sequel to Deadpool, Deadpool 2 is... What number would you guess? Knowing that the first film came in at number three. Seven. I am just ever surprised how bad you are at this. It's number two. Deadpool 2 coming in at number two, grossing 786 million. That's just three million more than the first Deadpool, the overall rank. Now, this is interesting. It's the second highest grossing R-rated film of all time in the overall rank, including G, PG, PG-13. It's number 100. It's That's so a interesting because in my head, I was thinking Deadpool 2 was like last year or something. Mm. And I was thinking, well, I'm surprised it did so well with COVID. But I looked it up. This son of a bitch came out in 2018. 2018. Buster, we're getting old. Time's moving too fast. Here's an interesting aspect. Deadpool 2, the sequel, had double the budget, but earned roughly the same amount of money. Because they got Just a, a little bit more. They had to pay Ryan Reynolds double though this time. It's rated R for language throughout, brief drug material, sexual references, and strong violence. What about unusual behavior? (laughs) No unusual behavior. It wasn't gray enough. Hmm. Rotten Tomatoes gives this 84% from critics and an 85% of the audience enjoyed it. So we both said earlier we've not seen the sequel. For the listeners at home, what is the plot? Wisecracking mercenary Deadpool meets Russell. An angry teenage mutant who lives in an orphanage. <laughs> Sorry, teenage mutant. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but Teenage Mutant who lives in an orphanage. When Russell becomes the target of Cable, a genetically enhanced soldier from the future, Deadpool realizes that he'll need some help saving the boy from such a superior enemy. This has nothing to do with Deadpool 2, but did you see the Cable guy? You said Cable, so that reminded me of the Cable guy commercial at the Super Bowl. I did, and it made me feel very old. I think you and I are the only two people in the world that liked the Cable Guy movie. I do enjoy it. Cable Guy! I enjoyed it. Anyway, Cable is also a character in Deadpool 2, I'm told. Yeah. Great aside, Nick. You're really adding value to this list. Well, don't worry. I will edit it accordingly. Well, you're just going to take every single one of your speaking parts out. (laughs) The critic consensus is... Hang on, no. It's just you talking, and then silence for like however many seconds, and then you responding again, that's the whole episode? That's what you're suggesting? For every tennis listener out there, they'll think to themselves, this. This is what I've been missing. A completely Nick-free episode. They haven't had it yet, and by God, they didn't know that they were thirsting for it, like being stranded in the desert, but they finally found Nirvana. Don't you dare bring Nirvana into this. And secondly, also, jokes on them, because as we discussed last time, I am also you. I'm your voice. I do both voices on the show. I'm fine with this. The critic consensus says Deadpool 2, though it threatens to buckle, hmm. though it threatens to buckle under the weight of its meta gags, 
Deadpool 2 is a gory, gleeful lampoon of the superhero genre buoyed by Ryan Reynolds' undeniable charm. Buoyed. Good word. And I looked this up. Interestingly enough, Ryan Reynolds convinced a lot of the celebrity cameos just with casual dinner conversations such as Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. He just pitched them these funny ideas at parties and get-togethers, and people just agreed because they thought it sounded funny and they wanted to be a part of it. Doesn't that sound like... <laughs> it's not fair. Like, you, you don't only get to be rich and famous and good-looking. Your job also just consists of being like, oh, that sounds funny. I'll come do that for a day. Yeah, sure. Ryan Reynolds did personally ask me at, over dinner conversation. It was right? a lovely evening. Yes, he asked me to be part of Deadpool 2, but I said, you know what? Unfortunately, I got to get these notes ready for <laughs> the dinner podcast. So I, I got to turn it down. I don't know which notes you're referring to. Can you be more specific about the notes? What are they called? The, the Buster's bullet points. Thank you. Got to work on my branding. Yes, sir. So that's it for Deadpool 2. You've got... Yeah, you turned down Deadpool 2. What a jackass. You've, you've got four films remaining. Number nine, number seven, number four, and number one. I'll go ahead and remind you there are still two sequels on the list and neither of them are number one. When you throw up the white flag and are ready for some hints, 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 let me know. I'll die first. I'm just trying to think because like, you know, the films that do really well at the box office are blockbusters, superhero, you've already ruled out horror, you've already ruled out comedy and war movies, you've ruled out disaster movies, so... I did not entirely rule out comedy, and that should be a, that, that's a huge hint. This is number nine, is a comedy film, and it is a sequel. Who stars in it? I don't want to tell you that because it'll be a, an instant giveaway. Let's see. So it had to make more than $570 million, which is what number 10, Fifty Shades of Grey, did. Yeah, it made $587 million. Its budget was $80 million. It came out in 2011. It got a 34% from critics, but a 52% from the audience. There are three guys oh, on the, the movie hangover poster. Too. You got it. The Hangover Part 2 starring Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, and Zach Galifianakis. The Hangover Part 2. Two years after the disastrous events in Las Vegas, it's now Stu's turn to walk down the aisle. Since his bride is from Thailand, Stu decides to hold the wedding there. Desperately hoping to avoid the mayhem of Doug's bachelor party, Stu chooses what he thinks will be a safe option. An alcohol-free pre-wedding brunch. But this being Thailand, and with Phil and Alan again in attendance, anything can happen. Nick, have you seen either of the Hangover films? I think there's more than either. I think there's three or four. I've seen the first one and that's it. Did you like it? I mean, it's been so long. I remember laughing, but it didn't make me rush out to see the second or third one. It didn't grab you by the gooch and squeeze you. No, not, not like you, Buster. <laughs> yeah, I have not seen any of the Hangover films, so I have no personal opinion about these, the series. I'm trying to look up how many there are. There's three. It's a trilogy. Total gross of $1.4 billion. Damn. According to Wikipedia, there's no plans for a fourth. Okay. Probably a good thing. Critic Consensus was a crueler, darker, raunchier carbon copy of its first installment. The Hangover Part 2 lacks the element of surprise and most of the joy that helped make the original a hit. So they weren't very hot on it, but it sounds like critics enjoyed the first one. You remember Zach Galifianakis's show Between Two Ferns? Yes, love it. He had Barack Obama on one time, <laughs> yeah. and 
Zach said something kind of like, you know, one of his jokes that like slams Obama and Obama responded something like, well, we didn't need hangover two or three either. And <laughs> I don't even remember the context, but that stands out to me and that's it. Between Two Ferns is an excellent show. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but listener, if you don't know about it, do a quick YouTube search. Just watch a couple of clips and if you like it, man, there's a whole world of hilarious content there. So how, are they paying you per mention here? What's going on? All right, so in the filming production of The Hangover 2, Crystal, a capuchin monkey who also appeared in the Knights of the Museum films, portrayed the drug-dealing monkey. PETA got involved and very upset after there were rumors that Crystal, the monkey, had become addicted to cigarettes after learning to smoke them for the film. However, the director denied these allegations and claimed that he had never lit an actual cigarette on the film set and the smoke was actually digitally added added in post-production. Despite this, Peter protested the film and they protested Crystal's appearance in this film for the use of exotic animals. Side note, the American Humane Association's disclaimer that no animals were harmed in the making of this film is absent from the credits in The Hangover Part 2. Interesting. Well, I'm upset for this monkey now. They might have been teaching Crystal the monkey how to smoke cigarettes so they could make a good movie. (sighs) I'm Which looking up Crystal. didn't turn out to be that good. Crystal has her own Wikipedia page. She's still alive. She's 27 years old, this monkey. Wow. I'm enthralled with this life. Oh my God. There's a section on the Wikipedia page of this monkey called personal life. So is this going to be your second wife, you think? Crystal or? lives with her trainer in California. Other animals live in the, in the home, including dogs, horses, a cat, another monkey named Squirt. That's a bad name. She sleeps no less than eight hours a day, shares a mattress with... <laughs> <laughs> the monkey's owners and the monkey squirt and a chihuahua. This monkey was in George of the Jungle, Dr. Doolittle, American Pie, Malcolm in the Middle, 310 to Yuma, Zookeeper, The Big Bang Theory, Buster. I'm having. Y- I think the next keep... list has got to be yeah. the top 10 grossing films that Crystal's appeared in. Crystal, that capuchin monkey. She's been in like two dozen or more films. And you're just going to have to do the rest of the show without me now because I'm, I'm in a rabbit hole of Crystal the Monkey's Wikipedia page. Now, was Crystal the Monkey also featured in Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, I think I remember being in there. Don't talk about Crystal that way. She's an innocent little baby monkey that deserves... She's innocent. At the end of the day, Nick, she's in Hollywood and she's going to do what she has to for a paycheck. Let's move on. <laughs> I just need numbers seven, four, and one, right? Seven, four, and one. There's one sequel remaining. And if I give away, yeah, we'll go, we'll, let's target that sequel. It's in the sci-fi genre. Alien 2? Nope, incorrect. Uh, here's a part of the trivia. GM, General Motors, donated over 300 cars for the use of the pr- uh, production of this movie. All 300 of those vehicles were wrecked in production. Well, I'm pretty sure Transformers was... It's got a very long, drawn-out vehicle fight scene. It's rated R for sexuality and sci-fi violence. Sci-fi, what could this be? Oh, Terminator, Terminator 2. Terminator 2 is on the list, but that is number 16. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is numero 16. I guess there's no sexuality in that that I can recall. Besides your own visceral reactions while watching Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course, that goes without saying. Sci-fi, car scene, rated R. What year did it come out? 2003. I'm going to give you someone who stars in it who's not the lead role, but it might be enough to tip you off of the movie. Hugo Weaving is in this film. 
Let me look that guy up. And he says, Mr. Anderson. Oh, fucking Matrix. Matrix 2. The Matrix Reloaded is number four. The Matrix Reloaded. So number four for the R-rated gross in films overall comes in at 116. It grossed 742 million, a budget of 150 million. Rotten Tomatoes gives us a 73% from the critics. 72% of the audience enjoyed it. Freedom Fighters, Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus continued to lead the revolt against the machine army, unleashing their arsenal of extraordinary skill and weaponry against the systematic forces of repression and exploitation. In their quest to save the human race from extinction, they gain greater insight into the construct of the Matrix and Neo's role in the fate of mankind. Yeah. I have never seen a Matrix film. I have no interest in them, so I don't... Whoa! Hot take! Hot take, there it is. I do love the first film. I've seen it many, many times. I've seen the second a lot, not as many times. It didn't really grab me as much. More that was when I was a younger man and was... Yeah, I was swept up by the action. The action scenes in The Matrix Reloaded are just out of this world. I saw the third one, didn't like it. The only film I returned to and the only one I think holds up the test of time a good mix of introspective plot, really thinking about the future and the themes involved is the first film. And the critic consensus is, for The Matrix Reloaded, though its heady themes are a departure from its predecessor, The Matrix Reloaded is a worthy sequel packed with popcorn-friendly thrills. Popcorn-friendly thrills. Just like us here. I can still envision, in my mind's eye, just crystal clear, the entire highway driving scene, because I remember being a 13-year-old child just blown away in the theater by that scene. And it was, it was breathtaking at the time. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, though, so I'm not sure if it holds up. Well, thanks for your fucking life story. Uh, but also, did you see the newest one that came out last year? I have not seen Matrix Resurrections. I heard mixed reviews. Some people said it was okay, and some people said it was utter garbage, mm-hmm. but I didn't see it. That's what I hear. Good old Keanu. I've, yeah, I've... Well, I'm not going to drop this hot take because it'll fucking start losing me subscribers, but... What is the hot take? Just not really into Keanu that much. (sighs) I know. Now, I will say, I do like Keanu in some things, but people lost their minds about John Wick, and I will admit, I could not get into that series. I tried, and I tried. I saw the first two, and I know the listeners are going to be mad at me. I'm, I'm sorry, but I just could not get into John Wick. Wasn't enough plot. And I know that wasn't the point of the film, right? It was supposed to be a very well done, action scene shoot him up toot him up boot him up (laughs) it just i don't know it wasn't captivating to me (laughs) i saw the first john wick and enjoyed it for what it was but i didn't get a chubby for it you can probably charge me for being too much of a fancy boy or a snob when it comes to movies i really have to have a lot of emotional plot and you know some dramatic meat to the film, to enjoy it. In the same sentence, you said that you are either a fancy boy or a snob, and you also use the word meat. So a lot <laughs> happened in that sentence. <laughs> and a lot's happened on this list, but you are not done yet. You've got number seven and number one. I will not let you guess number one. Don't you dare do it. I, right. bet you've, I bet you've refined what it is. Number seven is a superhero film, but it is an off-the-beaten-path. Is it recent? It is not that recent. It came out in 2017. I mean, that's pretty recent. 
This is very highly rated. 94% from the critics, 90% of the audience enjoyed it. What could that be? So it's not Marvel, because all of Marvel is PG-13. It is a Marvel film. Oh, it is? Is it Guardians of the Galaxy? It is not Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that was PG-13. I think so too. So what was rated R that's a Marvel? This was this actor's final portrayal of this certain character. And a bit of trivia, this main actor said that they will not do this role again unless it were to cross over with Deadpool. What the fuck am I missing here? Hang on. I know a good hint for you. The trailer featured music written and performed by Johnny Cash. I think the, <laughs> the lyrics are... What Let's is hear it. it. <laughs> Santa Baby? Is that the lyrics? No. <laughs> I think I hurt myself today. I know I'm going to kick myself. The title of the movie is One Name. It's the first name. It's a two-syllable first name. Is man one of them? No. It does end in A-N, though. A-N? What the fuck is this shit? Are you making this up? <laughs> I am not making this up. If I tell you who the star is, you'll get it right away. All right, here's another clue. This character has been in a lot of other films with a, a whole range of other characters. This is one of the only times that this character got his own film. I know everyone listening is screaming the answer at me right now, but I'm just drawing a blank. Some might say the guy who played the main character in this film is not that good of a singer. Some people think he is when he played one of the lead roles in Les Miserables. Oh, Hugh Jackman. Logan? Logan is number seven. Oh. So okay. it grossed $619 million. The budget was $127 million. It did come out in 2017. It stars Hugh Jackman. The overall rank is 160. Why is this film rated R, you might ask? Language throughout, brief nudity, and strong, brutal violence. Plot is, in the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X at a remote outpost on the Mexican border. His plan to hide from the outside world gets upended when he meets a young mutant who is very much like him. Logan must now protect the girl and battle the dark forces that want to capture her. Hang on. Do you want to re-record this section? Because I don't recall you congratulating me on successfully guessing that. Maybe you forgot to do that, but you can go ahead and do it now, and then I'll edit it to where it comes before all the notes you just read. Go ahead. Okay, I got you. Here we go. The critic consensus is that Hugh Jackman makes the most of his final outing as Wolverine with a gritty, nuanced performance in a violent but surprisingly thoughtful superhero action film that defies genre conventions. Now, Nick, I have to admit... Genre, huh? <laughs> like Genre, Benet, Ramsey. <laughs> Ramsey, yes. Yeah. Rest in peace. I have to admit, this is a film. You ever have those movies that just kind of slip by you? You're super interested in it. You want to see it. You don't make it to the theater and you never happen to see it. This is All one of those for me. Yeah, but I'm surprised with you that you hadn't seen this. Yeah, this is back when I still was super into superhero films, but I don't, I don't know it. I never got to see it. And now I'm kicking myself. I, I'm I've heard seeing, a lot of good things about it. Yeah, I have too. And looking at these Rotten Tomato critic reviews, which I tend to agree with Rotten Tomatoes more often than I disagree, I think I'm going to make a note to see this. If I were to watch a superhero film, it would be one like this. Darker, grittier. Grayer. It's not all about buildings exploding and flying into alien fucking portals and all that shit, but <laughs> <laughs> something like this. It's exactly what I said earlier. It needs some emotional meat on the bones. You need something that's character-based. 
quick sidebar, I'm looking up, is the Batman rated R? The one coming out here. Anyway, are you going to see that? The Batman with, what's his name from Twilight? Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. <sighs> I'm torn. I'm, I'm, for those who don't know, I'm a huge, 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 huge Batman fan. I'm a huge fan of the Dark Knight series, mm-hmm. the Dark Knight film itself. That's my favorite film of all time. I've seen it more than any other film. And I've read the majority of Batman graphic novels that have been released to date. Not all the graphics, but the, the cohesive graphic novels I own and have read most of them. And so I'm really, really hesitant to see it, but I think ultimately my curiosity is going to get the best of me. It's going to kill the cat and I'm going to see it. You know, you didn't have to bring cat death into this. <laughs> but also I looked, it is PG-13. I keep hearing how it's so darker and it's almost like a horror film, but it's still PG-13. But I don't know. Buster, I'll tell you what, I'm not planning on seeing it, but you know me, you know I'm not in superhero films. If you see it and you tell me I need to see it, I'll go see it. You're going to be my barometer. Well, I don't plan on speaking to you really outside of recording this episode, so... Mm-hmm. If you like true crime, dark history, the haunted and paranormal, then we think you'll like Ghost Town. Ghost Town is hosted by me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. We cover both notorious and obscure true crimes. The haunted, paranormal, and unexplained. And the dark history of everything from world events to pop culture. There are new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday. Find out for yourself what Vulture.com called essential listening and one listener called a total waste of time. So pause the podcast you're listening to right now. And go subscribe to Ghost Town for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at ghosttownpod.com. Well, Nick, we've reached the precipice. We've reached the summit. You have trekked all the way through 50 shades of gray, 50 shades darker, through the Passion of the Christ, Scary Clowns, Reloading the Matrix, two Deadpool films. And it brings us to the film that I would assume you've suspected for a while is in the number one spot. I'm actually not positive because the one I thought was number one was Passion of the Christ. Okay. So... Give me a small but not obvious hint for number one. Have I seen it, do you think? I know you have seen this film, for sure. How about this? I will read the critic consensus, but leave out the very first word. Okay. So, title of the movie gives its infamous central character a chillingly plausible origin story that serves as a brilliant showcase and a dark evolution Oh, for comics-inspired cinema. It's Joker. It is the Joker, released in 2019, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro. It grossed $1.1 billion. It is the only R-rated film to gross a billion dollars. Check this. The budget was $70 million. Hmm. It's one of the cheaper films on this list, and it grossed over a billion dollars. The overall rank, so this is the top R-rated film when it comes to worldwide gross. It comes in overall at 33. It's incredible for a rated R film. Yep, rated R for disturbing behavior, brief sexual images, language, and strong bloody violence. Now, this is where I will depart from Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 68%. Hmm. That's just not acceptable. And 88% from the audience. I really enjoy this movie. It's just so depressing and dark. You feel kind of, uh, I don't want to say dirty, but like shook after watching it almost. 
my background, my career is in the realm of psychology. And one thing I just could not help but think through parts of the Joker, and I'm not saying that any form of mental illness will lead to violence. I'm not saying that. Most of the times, people with mental illness are actually the victim of crime, not the perpetrator. But I do think that parts of the film give you sort of a sense of what it might be like to be trapped in some form of unhealthy behavior, an unhealthy thought cycle. And and some elements of, of mental behavior struggles are very apparent in the film. In fact, Joaquin Phoenix said, in terms of prep, the first part was physical. You had it drives you mad when you lose that much weight in the amount of time. He read about political assassins and assassination attempts, but was careful to not overly define the character. He wanted the freedom to create something that was not identifiable. Now, this is the part I really picked up, being in psychology. He did not want a psychologist to be able to identify the kind of person he was portraying. You wanted to be completely off the map, basically, right? Yeah, he wanted to be off the map so that you could not prototype him based on the DSM-5. Mm, interesting. But to give elements, throw in elements of other mental disorders, mental struggles that people have, but wrap that up into an origin story for a comic book villain. I know it's not apples and... Bananas? Bananas. It's not apples to apples on this. So it's kind of an unfair question. And it's unfair because one has an entire film based to their origin and background. And you spend so I know much what you're going to ask. And the other, you just get kind of glimpses and here and there. The better Joker, Heath Ledger or Joaquin? It's hard. And you're probably going to hate this, but I just don't think you can compare. They're both brilliant. You know, being a huge Batman fan, being totally fanboying out for the, the Joker role and the character. And I've read it in so many different fashions. They're both brilliantly spot-on representations of the Joker and how you might come to be. One is, you know, more demented and it's sort of like the role chooses him. That's like the Joaquin Phoenix version. It's someone who's already struggling and the role of the Joker sort of becomes this social zeitgeist that happens because of his appearance on this late night show, which was a total happenstance that he even got to that show. Whereas I feel like Heath Ledger's version of the Joker is someone who embraces the chaos, who sees society from his angle and just wants to make a mockery of it. Not far-fetched from the comedian who's a central character in the series The Watchmen, which is also a great read and a great watch for those who aren't familiar. You know, it says everything's a joke, so why would you take it seriously? Instead, I'd just be a parody of it. So what about you? If you had to pick... You know, you may cop out, take the cop out like me, but if you had to pick, which one would you say you like better? Well, acknowledging that, again, they're not apples to apples, but for what they were, I think Heath Ledger was more interesting. But part of that is because you don't get to spend as much time with him. So it's a little sure. bit of the, um, like you only see strategically chosen parts of right. him. So that unknown and that chaos is, is still there. And I do think that if we had a two, two and a half hour feature film of Heath Ledger's Joker following him around, he would become less interesting because we don't get him in those specific zoomed in snippets like you mentioned. That's a really good point. That's something I've never considered. Yeah. Maybe this is in your notes. What, what is the future for the Joker? Is there a sequel coming? Is there going to be a, f- a movie where he's facing off with Batman? Which, by the, the way, I'm sorry, a lot of questions packed in one here, but is the universe where... Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker and the universe where Robert Pattinson is the Batman, are those the same universe or do we not know? They're not. They're in separate universes. 
And the director said that Joaquin Phoenix's version of the Joker will not be incorporated into a Batman film. He wanted it to be a standalone idea. Probably for the best, honestly. I think that type of character and, and development and the true authentic, you know, expression and really living what that would be like, that process, I think it's only going to be dumbed down if you put it next to Batman. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Joker movie where the Batman is a like supporting character that has like maybe 10 to 20 minutes of screen time, right? He's like, sure, kind of like how Heath Ledger's Joker is in The Dark Knight. Like he's in the movie. He's a key part of the movie, but he's not central to the movie. Sure. So I could see something like that, maybe. Anyway. Who's the guy who played uh, Jared Leto? I think both of us can agree that we did not like fuck Jared that. Leto's version of the Joker as much. And fuck Jared Leto in general, anyway. Walking Phoenix based his laugh for the Joker on videos of people suffering from pathological laughter. He also sought to portray a character with which audiences could not identify at all. They couldn't relate to him. Joaquin Phoenix called perfecting the Joker's laugh the toughest part of playing the character. That laugh, it's so haunting. I well, mean, it's, it's like that stuff. It's like those little things, like you kind of just take it for granted when you're watching the movie, right? Like you're not, there's no part of you, unless you're analyzing it after the fact like we are now, but when you're watching it, there's no part of you that's thinking like, oh, I bet it was hard to do that. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like those little subtleties that you don't even pick up on. Like, I'm having a random flashback here. Brandon, when he and I talked about the top 10 universal monsters, he mentioned how the guy, I uh, can't remember his name, but the guy that played the original Dracula, he would never blink in his scenes. Mm. And that's something that you don't even notice. Like, you couldn't even point out and say, wait, why isn't he blinking? It's just like a subtle fear or a subtle uncomfort, discomfort right. that you're feeling because this guy's not blinking. That's kind of similar to how I see the laugh. Well, that level of detail, I do think that's what distinguishes good actors from great actors, from the yep. timeless ones. They live and breathe everything that they're doing, and they take it super serious to every nuance. Mm -hmm. I'm always amazed when I learn how actors, when they're going to portray a historical figure or even someone like the Joker, the amount of time and background work they do just to get in that headspace so that when the camera goes on, when there's 60 people in the room, people are sipping Starbucks coffee, you've got three cameras on you, you might be in front of a green screen, you can still dial in that character and hit them mm -hmm. as... And be in the moment. Like, what a fascinating profession. And just the ability that someone can portray a character like this. I mean, anyone who's seen The Joker, it's undeniable. I mean, even if you don't like the movie, you can't deny the acting. It's just, mm -hmm. it's on another level. He is The Joker in those yes. scenes, right? There's no Joaquin left in that person. Yeah, it's an art and great movie. I will say the headspace may have followed him a bit much because I don't know if you saw these Academy Award acceptance speeches, but they were a little interesting. Well, he's always been kind of a weird guy. Anyway, yeah, I've only seen it once, but I still remember it. I need to go watch it again. So there you have it, the top 10. So shall I recap the top 25 R-rated films? Oh, yeah. We'll go back through the top 25. So we'll see some of the ones I didn't even guess. But before you do that, I have a quick plug I got to get out here. Way to interrupt me. Hey, if you're going to be an occasional sidekick host on the Tennis Podcast, you're going to have to learn, accept, and love being interrupted. Okay. Buster, I know you are a subscriber to the Tennis Podcast newsletter. Indeed. So 
you can speak to the life-changing impact it's had on your life because you and other subscribers are the first to know episode topics weeks in advance. So, for example, the people listening to this episode right now, those of whom were subscribed to the newsletter already knew about this episode weeks ago. It's the first and only place to see the full month ahead for episode topics. Plus, the newsletter has exclusive blogs from both me and Brandon, discounts on merch every month, behind-the-scenes notes and tidbits, and more. And the best part is that signing up takes literally like 10 seconds, and we only email you once per month on the first Friday of the month. So, if you want to get off your lazy ass and join Buster in signing up, go to tennispod.com slash newsletter, and you'll receive the next edition of the newsletter. It's my most favorite thing I've ever spent money on in my entire life. And it's free, also. Okay, take us back through the top 25. 25 is 300. Mm. 24 is Lucy, starring Scarlett Johansson. Oh, didn't see it. I didn't see it, and wow, I would never have guessed that was that high. I, I like, I right? remember hearing about that movie, but still. 23 is Pretty Woman. Nope. 22, Gladiator. Oh, yeah. 21, The Matrix. 20, The First Hangover. We mentioned this. 19, It, Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Number 18, Saving Private Ryan. Number 17, Troy, a movie I feel like is easy to forget. Oh, with Brad Pitt? Yeah. Number 16, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Number 15, The Revenant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Another I, yeah, film that guess. really makes me grateful to live in the modern era because my God, am I grateful I didn't live in the time of the American West. Oh, that movie makes me so cold and in pain and just yeah. every time I see that film, I've seen it three times and oh, another just devotion to the character, devotion to the ambiance and a movie that really puts you in that empathy space of what it would be like to be that person. No lies detected. Speaking of detected, number 14, Detective Chinatown 2. Oh, come on. Buster, what is this fucking fate (laughs) of me saying that right before? That's something else. We might be blessed here. You really sniped it. Number 13 is American Sniper. Oh, yeah, that piece of shit. Well, let me just say, of all the films I've seen in the theater in my lifespan, that is the only one in which the audience gave a standing ovation to the film, is after American yeah. Sniper. Okay. <laughs> Number 12 is Ted, the raunchy talking stuffed bear. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that movie. 11 is The Mermaid. It's some foreign film. I don't know. I don't know anything about Merman. it. Merman! Merman! <laughs> and 10, we got Fifty Shades of Grey. Grey dick. Number 9, The Hangover Part 2. Yep. Number eight, The Passion of the Christ. Seven, Logan. Six, Detective Chinatown. Three, five, It. Chapter one, four, Matrix Reloaded. Three, Deadpool. Two, Deadpool. Two. No, I didn't stutter. And number one is Walking Phoenix portrayal of Joker. Yeah, with a, listen, the Joker, number one, has 1.1 billion. And number two, Deadpool. Two has 786. Huge gap there. Huge margin. I'll be interested to see what joins Joker in the one billion clubhouse for rated R films. Might be a long time before we ever see that again. Yeah. It's the only billion dollar plus rated R film ever made. Buster, do you mind if we wrap it up like a gray dick with some (laughs) podcast reviews? 
Yes, only if you read it in the voice of Christian Gray. So, the first mm. one comes from Apple Pie. I don't even know what he fucking talks like. That's my sultry voice. Uh, the first one I'm going to read comes from Apple Podcast from Ilf986. They say, love this show. Top 10 list is such a basic but effective concept. Yes, I agree. You know what you're getting. It's an easy, engaging listen, but it's brought to life by the hosts. And just to clarify, he's not talking about you there, Buster. Hmm. This review was written before you. I don't think anyone would ever make that mistake. Their dynamic is great. Again, not talking about you. <laughs> they keep it conversational and bring you into the show. Subscribe immediately. Buster, it's just one more time. None of that was about you. Sure. Okay. The command, subscribe immediately. <laughs> it's such blunt force on the end of a review. Was that five stars? I'll assume so. Yeah, if you don't leave us five stars, then just fucking unsubscribe, please. Yeah. One more from Ebony on Good Pods. Interesting show with interesting topics. Bringing all your fave subjects to one place. Highly recommended. Well, I think if there's one thing people can agree about on our show, it's that it's interesting. And that it's highly recommended. Nope. And that you should subscribe immediately. I disagree with all three of those sentiments. <laughs> Great. If you want me to read your review on a future episode, you can leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and on Good Pods. And by the way, one more plug, Spotify has ratings now. You can't write a review, but you can rate us five stars, and I would greatly appreciate it. If you're listening on Spotify right now, just go on the Spotify app that you're already in. The top of our Spotify page, right under our name, is a little star icon. Click that and rate us five stars. Buster, it's been... Something. Not a pleasure. Okay. I feel a little bit like Jesus did in The Passion of the Christ, uh -huh. getting through the last hour with you. Yeah, see, Nick, I, you roped me into doing this, because I, I was going to do this for a, a campus paper, and little did I realize the path that my life would take hosting this, this episode with you. You're as enigmatic as you are rich and powerful, and I, I'm starting to find <laughs> myself yeah. just strangely drawn to you. I get that a lot. Though I'm sexually inexperienced, I want to plunge into a headlong affair with you. And um, wow. I want to, <laughs> yeah, nope, that's actually directly quoted from Anastasia Steele. You know, I was Shakespeare. into it at the beginning until you started talking about plunging in. It's like, sounds like a big commitment. I don't think I'm ready for this. Never mind. Yeah. I'm not going to show you the room with all my whips and masks and naughty stuff. I'm not into it anymore. But whips and chains excite me. Rihanna's your favorite artist. I know. You told me that once. Yeah. Well, now that we have different sidekick hosts coming in every week, maybe we can get one of you to sing Santa Baby one of these times. Brandon would never do it. It won't be as good. It's not Brandon. Yeah. I'll be back next week with episode 166. I'll have a new sidekick host. Buster, we already have planned for you to come back on in a few weeks. Anything else you want to say to the folks at home before we go? Uh... Okay, nope. fucking forget it. Never mind. <laughs> He's Buster. I'm Nick. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks. Thanks.